Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. I want to ask if you would to turn with me over to Acts chapter 17. I'm going to share a couple of, uh, a couple of places this morning, uh, but I want you to just uh, follow along in Acts chapter 17. We're continuing going through the book of Acts, and we'll wrap up in Acts chapter 17 this morning, but I'm also going to look at some scripture in John chapter 15. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to put those verses up on the screen for you, so you'll see all of those verses uh, on the screen. Uh, We're going to read, though, in Acts chapter 17, and as we go through this passage of scripture, I want you to catch what is actually taking place in Paul's life. So as I begin to um, read through this passage of Scripture and think of what our time this morning would focus on, the thing that I kept coming back to over and over and over again is all that the Apostle Paul had gone through just since he had given his life to Jesus Christ. You think of where God led Paul from to now where God had led Paul to, and he's a total different person. He went from killing Christians to wanting people to become Christians, and what a transformation that that actually was in Paul's life. And some of the followers of Christ, when they actually saw Paul for the first time, it had to be an alarming encounter Because they were fearful of Paul and running from Paul. But God radically changed Paul's life so that the person that he used to be was no longer the person that we see him operating as here in Acts chapter 17. The beautiful thing of walking with Jesus is that he never leaves us the way that he first encounters us. His desire is for us to surrender to Him, walk with Him as our Savior and our Messiah, so that we are changed to become the person that He desires for us to be. But then as Paul begins to walk in this newness of relationship with God, what we see is Paul telling other people about this radical change that God has made in his life. And everywhere Paul sets his foot, he can't help but tell about the goodness of God and what God has done in his life and who Jesus truly was. But yet, Paul encountered time and time again people that were combative and hated the message of Jesus Christ that Paul was teaching. And so as I thought about our time together this morning, I kept going back over and over as we're now here towards the end of Paul's second missionary journey. 
Uh, he went on the, the first one uh, and then came back, spent some time um, back and um, back with Barnabas, and in spending that time there, Paul said, I, we've got to go back and we've got to revisit some of these cities. And so they go separate ways. Paul goes back and revisits some of these cities. But in the first missionary journey, and here at this, the end of this second missionary journey, towards the end of this second missionary journey of Paul's life, what we actually discover is time and time and time and time again, Paul encountered people that were combative and against the good news that Paul was actually preaching. We see at one point, uh, Paul was run out of town. At another time, Paul was beaten. They beat him so badly, they thought that he was dead, and they drug him outside the city gates so that when he died, he wouldn't stink up the city. God brings Paul back. Paul goes back into the city and starts proclaiming the good news of the gospel sores and all, and they run Paul out of town again. In Acts chapter 17 last week, what we looked at, or two weeks ago, what we looked at was Paul goes into a city, and there they start arresting Jason because Jason was allowing Paul and Timothy and some of the others that were with Paul to stay in his house. They were against the gospel so much. Paul was constantly having to be fearful for his life. And as I thought about all that Paul had gone through, I wondered if I were implanted into Paul's situation, would I endure through all of that? How many beatings would I have to go through before I simply just gave up and said, you know what? I'm just going to live my life. I'll walk in relationship with Jesus. I'm just going to be a silent Christian over here. I'm not going to tell everybody about it. But yet that's not how Paul lived his life. Despite beatings, despite arrest, despite being run out of town, despite being strongly opposed in city after city, the apostle Paul kept telling the good news of Jesus Christ. And so they run him away from Jason's house and they snuck him away in the night and they said, you've got to go down to Athens. And so here at the end of Acts chapter 17... Paul, again, is on the run, and he gets to the city of Athens, Greece. So if you'll follow along in verse 16, we'll read this passage of Scripture, and then we're actually going to take a look at what was compelling Paul in this. What was inside of Paul that he had no choice but to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. So Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens... He was greatly, well, let's go back and read verse 15 because I want you to catch what got Paul to Athens. So let's read verse 15. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. They ran Paul out of town. They got him to Athens. They were with him, some theologians would tell us, to actually protect him and to sneak him out of the town so that they didn't capture him, put him in prison, and beat him or take his life in that moment. And then in verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. Here in this verse, we actually see inside of Paul what is compelling him. What is it that is the fuel that's inside of Paul that he doesn't have a choice despite all that he's been through, that he has no choice but to tell about the good news of Jesus Christ? 
What is it that is inside of him? Paul says, or Luke actually tells us here, that as Paul was in Athens, when he looked around, he was greatly distressed because there were so many idols everywhere. And those idols were what they were worshiping instead of worshiping Jesus Christ. And so inside of Paul here, he sees people who are worshiping something, but they're not in relationship with Jesus and they're not worshiping him. Paul knew something that is a truth that every one of us have to understand. At every moment in your life, you are always worshiping something. Every moment in your life. There's never a moment that you're not worshiping something. And as Paul was going throughout the city of Athens, he saw altar after altar after altar and shrine after shrine after shrine of people worshiping other things instead of Jesus. And this greatly distressed Paul. And so here we see this fuel that is compelling Paul inside of him that Paul sees people not in relationship with Jesus and he says, I've got to do something about it. Now remember, he's on the run from the cities that he's already visited, some a second or third time. And he says, I've got to speak out because I know, just as the psalmist said, I've never been forsaken by Jesus Christ. And my life has been radically changed. I've become new. I've experienced the new creation that God desires for me. And Paul would say to us, I can't keep that inside of me. And so then we see in verse 17, Paul's got to do something about it. He can't just keep silent. He's distressed. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Aragopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and the earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath, and everything else. From one man, he made everything. Nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth and be determined, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our beings. As some of you, of your own poets, have said, we are his offspring. So here what we find is that Paul's so distressed that people are constantly worshiping false gods. That he finds this altar and it says, to the unknown God. And in that, Paul steps up as he's reasoning with him. And you remember, some of these philosophers, the scriptures say, had greatly opposed Paul. They were debating. They were constantly trying to bring up argument to discount or to prove Paul false. But Paul said, I want to tell you about this unknown God because I see that you're religious and I see that you're actually worshiping. And so Paul then begins to lay out the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he actually tells him, at the end of chapter 17, the last verse, tells us that there were Jews and some Greeks. There were a couple of people that were actually mentioned, as well as others that gave their life to Jesus Christ. Here's the encouraging thing to me. In the middle of the persecution that Paul was actually facing, what happened time and time again is everywhere that Paul preached the gospel, people gave their life to Jesus Christ. Everywhere that he stepped foot and he told about the goodness of God, that Jesus was Lord, that he was the Savior, and he is the Messiah, people surrendered to Jesus Christ. They didn't surrender to Paul. They surrendered and walked in, in, in the way of Jesus Christ. That should be encouraging to us. That despite what's going on in the world, as long as we are being obedient and as long as we are being faithful, then God will produce what he desires to be produced. As long as we are doing our job, God will take care of the results. You see, the results are not our responsibility. The results are God's responsibility. So I want to look at why was Paul this way. There was a reason that Paul was this way. And so what I want to do is I want to take a look at another passage of Scripture that I've been reading through. That as I was reading through this, it hit me, hey, this is, this is a part of the why. This was a part of that compelling fuel that was inside of Paul. This was a part of what was driving Paul to be distressed. And in John chapter 15... In the middle of one of Jesus' most amazing sermons here, John is actually recording some important words that I believe were Paul's purpose in being obedient despite the persecutions. So I'm going to put a few verses up here, and we'll look at another chapter as well. In John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus said, If you remain in me, Another translation says, abide in me. I preached a whole sermon uh, a, a couple of years ago um, on just this, remain in me or abide in me. It's, a, it's an amazing phrase that Jesus actually says that we have to take serious. But I believe that this is what was carrying Paul. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In John 15, verse 13, 14, and 16, catch this. Jesus' sermon here. He says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. And I want to look at that phrase this morning. 
that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit, Jesus said, that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. Fruit that will last. What the Apostle Paul is actually doing here is he's actually producing fruit everywhere he goes. And in every passage that we have read here in the book of Acts about what Paul is doing, everywhere he goes, fruit is actually being produced. Now, Paul is not the one that's producing the fruit. Paul is the one who shows up and he says, hey, I just want to tell you what God has done in my life and who God actually is. Paul was the one who was being faithful time and time and time again. He was the one who was showing up and willing to have the hard conversations, knowing that people are constantly worshiping something. And Paul wanted to make sure that they were worshiping the one true God. The thing about spiritual fruit that we have to remember is spiritual fruit can only be produced when spiritual people show up and tell about the original one, which was Jesus Christ, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spiritual fruit is not produced by focusing on the individual fruit. Spiritual fruit is produced by focusing on Jesus Christ and being obedient to Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul's doing. This is why God stirred in Paul after the first missionary journey to go back and revisit some of those cities from the people that had given their life to Jesus Christ and they started worshiping him. He wanted to go back and strengthen their faith. And then God starts guiding and he visits some additional other, uh, some additional other cities. God is using Paul to lead other people to walk in relationship with God himself. I wonder if this morning we were to pass out a piece of paper and we were to go around and answer this question, what the results would be. How much spiritual fruit have you seen produced from your walk with the Lord? Now, this is not a moment of shame. And I don't want you to let the enemy creep in and say, you know, I've not produced any spiritual fruit because God doesn't operate that way. God doesn't want to shame you in this moment. God wants to lift you up and to put you in a place to where you can just be obedient, leaving here this morning, telling about what God has done in your life and that Jesus is the Savior and that Jesus is the Messiah. God would want to raise us up this morning to be just like Paul, despite the times that we're persecuted and despite the times they may beat us up because we're talking about Jesus Christ, we have a determination inside of us, despite what's on the outside, to just be God's faithful vessels talking about Jesus Christ. But we have to ask ourselves that question. How much spiritual fruit has actually come out of our walk with the God, with, with God? I really believe that many of us don't produce spiritual fruit because our relationship with Him wants to be around God and the things of God, but we're hesitant to commit fully to God. We want to be around when the miracles are being performed. We want to be around the things of God whenever the blessings of God are being poured out. We want to be around 
when people are in awe of what God is doing, but we're hesitant to commit and to step into that 100% and fully. It's kind of like hanging around a swimming pool and wanting to swim, but not jumping into the pool. If you want to swim, you've got to get into the pool, right? You can't swim sitting on the side of the pool. Oh, you can kick your legs and you can splash a little water, but you're not really swimming. And it's just like hanging out on the side of the pool as opposed to jumping into the pool and actually doing the swimming. Producing spiritual fruit, letting God use you to get the results that he wants, we've got to get off of the side of the pool, we've got to get off of the diving board, and we've got to jump completely into the pool where God is actually at work. And this is the people that God is looking for to join him in his work, just like Paul was willing to step in and say, I'll get into the swimming pool for you, God. I'll be the one that shows up, and I'll be the one to proclaim the good news of the gospel over and over and over again. I want to pause for just a minute, and I want to say that all of us have different spiritual gifts. Some of us may have a variety of different gifts. Some of us may have one gift. All of us have all kinds of varieties of spiritual gifts. But all of those gifts are used for one purpose, and that's to tell about Jesus Christ. And so what we're seeing in Paul's life is this was how his ministry was because he was using the spiritual gift that God gave him. None of us could step into and just duplicate exactly what Paul did. That would be operating outside of the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. We can't do what Paul did because we're not Paul. That's, that's not how God has gifted us. And if we tried to do that, we would be operating on our own strength. What you have to do is sit with the Lord and say, what gift have you given me? Is it one that is speaking just like the Apostle Paul did? Is it the one that steps into the debates with the philosophers and says, hey, you've got it all wrong. You're worshiping all of these gods, but you need to focus on the unknown God, and that God is Jesus Christ, and then share the good news of the gospel. Is your gift a gift of giving to enable those types of things to happen? Is your gift one of hospitality? There, there's so many gifts that we could go on and on and on and on about. You've got to find the gift or gifts that God has given you and put them into action. Use those as your fuel to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God created you exactly the way that he created you. So that when you step into relationship with him, he can redeem you and then compel you push you forward to tell of his marvelous deeds. This is how God uses each one of us. And of course God would take Paul uh, with the knowledge he was, uh, with the background that he was, uh, with the culture that he was a part of, and then use him in this way. And then Luke records it here in the book of Acts. But you see so many other people that are around Paul that are a part of what God was doing, but yet they were not trying to actually be Paul. You see, what you have to do is get off of the side of the pool of your faith and get into the swimming pool just exactly how you are, redeemed, so that God can actually 
use you. And I think really that this is what Jesus was saying here. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, so that you can go with the gifts that God has given you, pushed by him, compelled by him, fueled by him, so that through you, he can use you to bear spiritual fruit. Well, what is that spiritual fruit? We're not talking apples and oranges here. We're talking about people who are dying and going to hell and do not know Jesus Christ. And God wants to use you to reach those people. You see, this was God's plan all along, to use his people, to use you. And I think when Jesus was praying in John chapter 17, the encouraging thing for me as I read this, Jesus was praying for each one of us. And he had us in mind as God's plan, knowing that he was going to leave. And in Acts 2, we see the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So that then the Holy Spirit comes inside of us. We, our bodies, then become the temple of the Holy Spirit, fueled by God living inside of us, radically changed to go forward and actually bear fruit. And here in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus said, As you sent me into the world, he's praying this to God, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, absolutely, this was about the the disciples that were actually walking with Jesus in this moment. But I wholeheartedly believe that Jesus did not just have the 11 in mind in this moment, but he had every single one of us in relationship with him in mind in this moment. And he was reminding God, you sent me here so that through what I have done, people could be in relationship with God and experience his presence so they would be changed and then filled with the Holy Spirit and then empowered to go out. And so what Jesus is saying, God, you sent me here. You gave me a commission to actually come here. You gave me a purpose. You gave me a plan. And what Jesus is saying is now I am passing that on to those whose lives I have radically changed as their Savior, as their Lord, and as their Messiah. Jesus had us in mind, and he's saying, I am sending you out into the world. And sometimes we get it wrong, and we think that relationship with Jesus is all about coming here, and that is a part of it. We need to be here. We need together to study the Word of God. We need to be together in worship. We need to be together to encourage each other. But our purpose is not confined inside these walls. Our purpose of spiritual fruit is outside of these walls. And as we, like Paul, operate in the giftedness that God has given to us, then that will draw people to Jesus Christ so that they too can be in a body here or somewhere else inside the walls of the church, being strengthened, worshiping together, being encouraged, then filled up to go back out into the world. This is God's plan. God's plan was the church of which we are a part of. God always operates in and through the church. God's plan never excludes the church. God's plan is the church. And whenever you are in relationship with him, you are a part of his bride, the church. And then our mission is just like Paul, 
to go tell, to go tell. What was the first word? What was the first word of Jesus actually then finally getting to commissioning everybody that was around him? He prayed in John 17, God, as you sent me, I'm sending them into the world. But then when he spoke it out loud, the first word of what Jesus said was go. It was go. Our charge in relationship with Jesus Christ is to go. To go let our light shine so that other people can see Jesus Christ inside of us. This is God's plan. You are a part of it. Can he accomplish it without us? Absolutely he can. 100% he can. But yet he chose not to. He chose to use us, male and female, his creation, so that he would receive all of the glory and all of the plan. You see, when Jesus in John chapter 15 was actually sharing this, uh, sharing, um, this purpose that he laid out here, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will actually give to you. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to set aside a few select people. And that few select people that I set aside are going to be the ones that actually go and bear fruit. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus is not ordaining and appointing a few, a few people that their responsibility is to go and bear fruit. To use the gifts that God has given you so that at the appropriate time, fruit can actually be produced. No, that's not how Jesus uh, operates, and that's not what he was saying here in John 14. The call or the assignment in this was that every single one of us would be working in his vineyard so that as we plant, as we garden, as we water, he would be the one that actually would bring the increase forward and see the fruit produced. This is God's desire for us. This is what I believe God has for us in this next season as a refuge of grace. To be just like the Apostle Paul was here in Acts chapter 17 and being dedicated to boldly going out, using the gifts that God has planted in us, deposited in us, if you will, for his glory, for his honor, so that as we are obedient, fruit will actually be produced. But I think that in this passage of Scripture, there's a deeper question for us as a church, and definitely a deeper question for each one of us as individuals. So are we structuring our lives, or are we structuring the church in a way that fulfills God's purposes? How do you live your life? Are you structuring it in a way that allows God to use you and all that he has given to you to produce fruit? And then and we, when we come together in this refuge of grace, are we structuring this organization in a way that allows God 
to use what he has provided for us so that he can use it to produce fruit. And here's the amazing thing about fruit. Fruit has seeds. They've got seeds. And those seeds then are planted and cared for, and they produce more fruit. So that what we see is fruit produces fruit that produces fruit that produces fruit. But I want to tell you, I prefer the grapes that don't have seeds. How about you? I love green grapes. I love green grapes. I could sit down and eat a whole bundle of of green grapes. But I hate spitting out the seeds. I hate it. And so whenever I go to the store, I choose seedless grapes. You know why? Because I don't want to have to deal with the seeds. I just want to eat the grapes and move right along. When I was a kid and we ate watermelon, my grandpa always told us, if you swallow a watermelon seed, what's going to happen is that inside of your stomach, you're going to start growing a watermelon. And I think that's what's happened in me in my life. Do you know what our nature is? So, so that's like funny, right? And so we think, oh, that's, that's real funny. That's in the physical. We prefer fruit without seeds. But you know what happens in the spiritual realm as well? We get lazy. And we don't want to deal with the seeds. And it's easy to just focus on ourselves as opposed to focusing on the seeds that we have to be diligently planting and gardening and caring for to actually produce the fruit. And that's not what Paul is doing, or that's not how Paul is living his life here in Acts chapter 17. Paul is living his life planting seeds, and they oppose him for it. But that doesn't stop Paul from planting more seeds and having the hard conversations. Paul is then in this second missionary journey going back and revisiting some of these cities that he went to so that he can help garden and nurture those seeds and care for those seeds. So then that way they actually produce fruit. And despite them wanting to arrest Paul, he still is caring for the seeds because he knows when they're diligently caring for the seeds, then fruit will be produced. And so in the church, we can't settle for seedless fruit. We can't be seedless fruit. We've got to deal with the seeds because the seeds produce more fruit. And then the seeds from that fruit produces more fruit. And so we've got to be God's gardeners. We've got to be the ones that are diligently making sure that we order our lives and we structure this organization to make certain that we are dealing with the seeds and diligently planting, gardening, nurturing, and raising up all that God has entrusted to us so that we are producing fruit. Because if we neglect the garden that God has given to us, He's going to give it to somebody else. And Paul here is taking care of the garden that God has given to him. He's taking care of the seeds that God has entrusted to him. I believe that God has placed you here for a reason. And I believe it's to use your gifts 
in this refuge of grace. And so we've got to ask ourselves and be honest with ourselves. How am I letting God use me? When oppositions come, when opposition comes like, like Paul, do we just give up and say, you know what? The, the seeds aren't worth it. It's not worth it to be beaten up. It's not worth it to almost die because I'm, I'm being who God wants me to be. It's not worth it to be arrested. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to go through all of that junk. Paul could have lived his life, and a lot of people have understood. Yeah, they almost beat you. They've arrested you. They've run you out of town. I get it if you just want to be quiet with, about your faith. I get it if you just want to hide your spiritual gift. I get it if you want to live out that song that we sang when we were in children's church and in Sunday school of hiding your light under a bushel. I, I would get it. I would understand it if Paul lived it that way, but he didn't. He said, I'm responsible for the seeds. I'm responsible to make sure that we are God's gardeners. And so who has God placed around you? Who has God placed in your life? Who has God placed in your path? Who has God placed around you that he just wants you to let your light shine around them? That he wants to use you as a part of his church, as his son or as his daughter? To be his gardener in the moment. Another thing that Jesus actually said here in John 15, 16, that I just want to point out. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Some of us struggle with actually what some people would say is you need to find a life verse. You need to find a verse that means so much to you that it's going to compel you. It's going to give you reason to get up and carry on in your journey with Jesus Christ. And there are some great verses that I love. I could rattle a couple of them off that are some great verses. But one that I go back to constantly over and over, and I think that all of us should. It's not, it's not wrong to have a life verse. It's not wrong to have a compelling verse. That, that's not wrong at all. But one that I think needs to be on every single one of our radars are Jesus' words in John 15, 16. Because he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give it to you. This is your invitation from Jesus Christ this morning. He chose you. And not only did he choose you, but he then appointed you. He appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Jesus had you in mind here. My question, have you accepted the appointment, the commission that God actually has for you? Have you accepted the assignment that Jesus had in mind for you in this verse.
Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.